Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Happy holidays. We are coming to you on our last day of work. Well, my last day of work, I shouldn't say. Our before uh, the holidays, and I'm not going to think about college admissions until January 3rd when I am back, which is a total lie because my son is a senior and is applying to college, and it's probably something we're going to talk a lot about And actually, that brings me to one of our topics today, which is how do you get through the holidays without letting other people ruin your college application process or really get through the next few months or for those of you who are a little younger, the next few years. So we have some thoughts about that. Um, We are also going to be talking about what happens if you're a parent and your child comes home from for the holiday break and says, I'm really unhappy and I want to transfer. Um, So we have some tips on how to kind of talk through that, get at the root of what's really going on and make uh, a good choice about whether really it is the right move um, and if now is the right time to make that decision. But before we get to any of that, um, the CARES Act is ending. (laughs) What does that mean for you? Well, lucky for all of our listeners, my colleague, Stacey McFeeders, who's a former financial aid officer at Emerson, at Elms, at Mount Holyoke Colleges, also former VP of Education Finance and Student Loans at J.P. Morgan Chase, is joining us. And she's going to share what it means for you. Hi, Stacey. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm good, uh, thanks. For our listeners, I will be paying significant attention during the other segments because I too have a senior. So (laughs) Beth and I have been in it together all this time. Yes, exactly. So, all right. So a couple of weeks ago, you were on the show and we talked about loan service providers and changes that might be happening with those. And this is really a continuation of that conversation. And today we're really focusing on the CARES Act. And uh, as I said a few minutes ago, it's going away. So I guess, what does that mean? And what's changing? Talk us through it. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we 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 start started to tee up this conversation when we talked about the loan servicers a few weeks ago. Um, but what we really kind of want to get to the heart of today is that on uh, January thirtieth, twenty twenty two, the CARES Act provisions that pertain specifically to student loan repayment will, at this point, be ending. Yes. Um, so, what does that mean for you as a student loan borrower? Well, for the last well since March. 2020, you have not been required to pay your student loans. Your interest rates have been set to zero. There has been no collection if you were in, excuse me, delinquency or default. Um, So probably like most people, you just ignore the fact that they existed. Well, (laughs) effective February 1, you need to not do that anymore. So realistically, what that means is uh, all federal student loans will be re-queued up for repayment um, with the first First payment date being uh, being expected in mid to late February, maybe early March. Okay, so what you know, I guess, and and I can tell you that actually we're experiencing this in our own house. Well, sort of. Um, my stepson graduated from college a year and a half ago, has yet to be in repayment. Yeah. Um, but because he has me in his life, I'm sure he thank he's thankful for that every day. <laughs> 
he is being reminded that, hey, these are coming. Yeah. And so if you're not going to actually put in any payments, make any payments, you need to be getting ready or putting that money aside so that when the CARES Act ends, you are going to start. Um, so what should borrowers do uh, to prepare for this yeah. loan repayment coming? Yep. So, so Ryan. Yeah, exactly. So Ryan and all the folks like him, and then the folks who had been in repayment sort of can follow similar paths. And what I mean by that is we have actually a little over two years worth of borrowers who have never made a payment. It's anybody who left school or graduated um, anytime after October or November of 2019, they would have entered their grace period. And while they were in their grace period, all of this began. So there's this entire population of two years worth of borrowers who've never paid. Then there's this massive universe of millions of people who may have been in repayment or some version of repayment grace or, um, you know, forbearance who are now going to re-enter. So by and large, there's not a lot that folks need to do differently, even if they're in one of those two different groups. I think the most important thing that I have been saying to anybody who will listen is make sure you are reading what you get in the mail or email. Sounds Mm -hmm. simple, sounds basic. I don't even do it. So if you're getting something from somebody that you don't recognize and you're assuming it's a solicitation, probably not a great idea. As we talked about in the last call, we have a lot of servicers that are transitioning. Borrowers will be moved to new servicers. We have new servicers entering the the federal servicing arena. So if there's something that might say student loans or your payments or, you know, Ed Financial, Mohila, um, Aid Vantage, those are names you don't know open the mail um, or open the email. Yes. Cause you know, what doesn't rot fly if you miss all your payments? Why well, I didn't get, I didn't read the email or I exactly. didn't read the mail. Like, nope, that's not going to work. But anyway, exactly. continue. Exactly. Nope. That, I mean, that's exactly right. So realistically, the first thing you need to identify to do is to identify who are you going to be paying these loans back to? If for some reason you just can't find anything, no mail, no email, you can always log into your federal student aid website. Uh, into the federal student aid website, the same one you used to access your FAFSA, you'll use that same FSA ID and you will be able to track all of your loan history on the federal student loan side of the house. So that's what you should be doing. Identify where your loans are, figure out who your servicers are, then engage with your servicer. Go onto their online payment system, see if they have your payments queued up yet so you know what to expect. Take a look at the repayment options if you want to try something different. So for example, most of you are going to go into what is called a standard repayment program, which means they're going to take your your loan balance. They're going to divide it over 120 months. That's your payment, obviously, plus your interest. Right. If that feels unpalatable, there are about 15 other repayment programs that you could be looking into that might make things a little easier on you, whether it's a graduated payment or an income-based repayment program. So you can start doing all of that now. So that's kind of the first step. Got it. Okay. And obviously really important um, to get ready. So what can borrowers expect after January 30th? Because mm-hmm. it's changing after that. So what happens after January 30th, 2022? Yep. So if you haven't already started to hear from your servicers, you will. Um, and I can tell you that we have been in communication with all of the major servicers and we know that they're already proactively reaching out. We're already starting to see that a lot of folks are getting their first payment dates. Like I said, probably mid to late February, some as early as uh, the beginning of March, um, kind of start looking into that. So that's the first thing. Um, If you are someone who absolutely just does not have the means or method to make payments, 
do not ignore it. Go back to your surfacer. They have some latitude around these around these types of situations. Um, from everything that we've seen in the communications, they are going to work with borrowers as much as much as they can. Right. Um, so that's kind of the first thing. The other thing I'm going to actually caution, believe it or not, I can't believe I'm saying these words. Beth might laugh. Um, keep an eye on the news. So we were very confident that this was going to be the the actual end of the CARES Act provisions. Um, there were three extensions, the last one in September. And in September, they said this is the final extension. But there's some buzz on Capitol Hill um, that there are some, some folks who are really asking to have things reevaluated. I'm not breaking any news here. I'm just telling you that we are keeping an, our, an eye on the news as well. Um, best advice is be prepared. Think <coughs> about how you're going to go in, into repayment. But you never know. Um, keep, you know, keep in touch with us, follow us on social media and in the, in the blogs, because you, right. you never know. <laughs> uh, you know, and I think when I think about this, and one of the things that I've been telling my stepson and that his father's also been echoing is you can keep kicking the can down the road, or you could just start putting the money away. Or if you pay off your loans now, right, you're paying principal and you're 100%. not, and you're, yeah. so you're saving yourself from having to pay more on the interest front, like any payment you make is paying down your principal. And for anyone who's been in debt, um, you know that that's the thing that ultimately kills you is less how much money you actually initially borrowed, but it's all of the interest that you end up yeah. paying as you pay it back. So, you know, any, you know, any thoughts on that? Any thoughts yeah. on the future of student loans? You know, bigger picture? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Since we're here. <laughs> yeah. So, so you could not have hit the nail on the head any better. And that would have probably been my next point is if you are someone who has not been making payments, but could have been, okay, we'll move past what could have been. You still have December, January, February that you could make payments. And it doesn't even have to be a monthly payment. It can be any amount. Let's say that you, I don't know, maybe get an end of the year bonus and you were like, well, this could be a good time. Pay down your principal. The interest rate is set to zero until January 30th. Pay down anything that you can. Again, everything is going towards principal, 100. Right. Um, and, and again, any amount, whatever it might be. So that that is, you know, we've been saying that loud and clear since probably April of 2020. For those who can pay, you should be. Um, so take advantage of that. Uh, in terms of the the student loan landscape, you know, the million dollar question is what is going to happen with these possibilities of student loan forgiveness? Which is why people haven't been paying yeah, because exactly. they're holding out hope for that, right? Yeah, so yeah. yeah, let's talk about that. So 100%. So again, I think we, we might have joked about this once or twice before in the last 18 months. We have no crystal ball. There's no way to know. There's a lot of, um, you know, thoughts on both sides of the equation. You know, we won't editorialize here, but the reality is, it's highly unlikely that every dollar of federal student loans is going to be forgiven, Right. period. So is there a possibility of something? Perhaps. But like I've been telling the borrowers I've been talking to on a daily basis, don't count on that. This is your obligation. You signed the promissory note. You, you know, bought the stake, as they say. So now you just have to go ahead and pay for it. Um, so plan on it. You know, If there's some type of forgiveness, something to jumpstart the economy, that obviously would be great for everyone in, in student loan repayment. But right now, your plan should be Figure out what you need to do, get into the right repayment program, and immediately get right back on onto onto making your payments. You know, there's very little latitude in terms of late payments and and things of that nature. So work out your payment arrangement and kind of move forward. Right, right. Um, any final words beyond that? I, I don't know how I could sum it up any better. It <laughs> seems pretty. I mean, all I know is that, and you guys talked to 
families all the time. And actually, you talk to working adults all the time who are trying to figure out getting their loans paid off. And my guess is there's no greater sense of relief than having a plan um, and, you know, feeling like you are making progress. And for me, it would seem like this is a great time to make some progress. If you can, totally appreciate that some of our listeners may really be in a bad way. This pandemic has been terrible, especially for some specific industries, service industries, things like that. So I don't want to not acknowledge that I get that not everyone listening can make a payment right now. But if you can, it really seems like it would be a good idea to do yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think we can't underscore that last point that you just made. We've harped on making payments. We've harped on getting, on getting you know, anything done that you can. But for those who absolutely can't, please know that there, there is recourse. You can talk to your servicers. They have a lot of latitude. It's, it's the, one of the very few forms of debt that you actually can kind of you know, work your way through without just having to go into collections. So definitely don't ignore that. Um, I think we're all super sensitive to what we're all going through. And if, if it's something that you just can't handle, just don't ignore it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Stacy, thanks so much for being here today and sharing yeah. all of this insight. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Take care, everyone. All right. And uh, we're going to take a very quick break. But when we come back, we're going to be talking about what happens if your student comes home and announces after a few months of school, they're ready to transfer. So we have some thoughts for you. So don't go away. College admissions can be stressful but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody, to our pre-holiday show. We are like as pre-holiday as you can get here. It's December 23rd, at least for those of us who celebrate Christmas. Um, and we are talking about what happens when your student comes home for the holidays. They've been at school for all of three months at this point and announced that they are not happy and want to transfer. Uh, and joining us to talk through that is my colleague, Christine Kenyon, who is also a former admissions officer at Babson and um, was a reader and interviewer for two very selective uh, scholarship programs at Duke and the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Hi, Christine. Hello, Beth. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And thank you for joining today. Um, I guess, you know, my first question for you is... Is a parent, you know, your child comes home and says, I want to transfer. What do you do? How do you handle it? First of all, I think that's very normal. So I think that the first semester of college is a really big transition for students, especially coming off of COVID 
quarantine and lockdowns, hybrid schooling, the world's been weird. You know, adjusting to college life has always been a transition for young adults um, mm-hmm. throwing a global pandemic. And it, 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 it's even harder for students to socialize and find their people. So I think that, number one, know that this is very normal. And I think instead of panicking, which I think as a parent, sometimes that's my first thing. It's like, ah, what do I do? How do I make this better? How do I fix it? Right. Yes. How do I fix it? (laughs) Um, Trying to think through how you can get to the root of what's causing your student to feel like they're not happy at their current place. Right. So would you start maybe with why you're there in college in the first place? Maybe academics? What do you kind of, how would you probe there? Yeah. So I think I keep things open-ended and I'd start by saying, okay, what makes you feel that way? And see which path they lead you down. For some students, they might say, I'm just really homesick. It's it's too far across the country. I really want to be closer to home. Um, For other students, it might be that they're realizing their hopes to be a doctor and their pre-med aspirations are just not aligning with the realities of the grades that they're getting and um, Mm. the workload and that academically, you know, this isn't the right fit for them. For other students, it might be more socially um, focused, where they say, I really love my classes. I met some great professors. I just haven't found my people yet. And Mm -hmm. I think each of, depending on what the student focuses on as the reason that they might not be totally happy, that can inform the conversation you have. Because some things are growing pains, and other things, there might be a mismatch between the student and the university where transferring could be a good option. Right, right. And I am always pointing to social media as a, it's a challenge in general, as I am on social media and spend way too much of my time probably on social media. I absolutely see some significant challenges. You know, I'm an adult, I, I have presented enough of myself on social media to recognize that what you put out there and what your everyday life looks like, you know, I'm not posting when I go to the post office, but I post when I take a really cool trip, right? Mm-hmm. But I think too, when you're teenagers and you live so much of your life online, and it appears that everyone else is loving their new environment, I think that contributes an even greater amount to students feeling like, even if they were just sort of ambivalent or like, I'm going to figure it out, then they see all their friends and it looks like, wow, I must have made a bad choice. Look at how much fun everybody else is having. Yes. You know, I think that is such a good point. And it's, it's so, it's so much harder. I'm so grateful that social media wasn't like fully up and running when I was in college, because I think that does make it so much harder. And for students to kind of figure out what's right for them, it doesn't help to kind of see all this chatter in the background of what other people are doing and how their experience is, especially if you come from a very college-going family or a very um, college-going town or, or high school. You know, if so much of high school was focused on the next step, getting to college, mm-hmm. it puts so much pressure on students to feel like, okay, if it's not perfect in every way when they get there, did they make a huge mistake? Did they do something wrong? Is their life not going to end up being successful and happy? Um, right. And it, you know, no, that's not that's not the path we want them to go down. But I think that can be a very natural train of thought um, because of social media and because of seeing what people want you to see versus the reality. Right. And I would say if your child is saying, well, so-and-so loves it. And well, how do you know? Have you talked to that person or is it 
you know, like probing, like you said, probing a little bit more deeply. I know, you know, there was no social media because that's how long ago I went to college. There was no social media then. Thank God there were no phones. Thank God. Not everyone had a camera ready to take video at the, which, thank God, again, um, all of these things are really helpful. Uh, to my growth. But, you know, what I, one thing I would see is if I was walking on campus somewhere, I might see big groups of people talking and laughing. And I think it's the same basic concept. Everybody's having fun without me, yeah. kind of, is the idea. And really, as, as I went through my years in school, what I started to recognize is that those big groups of people were just a bunch of freshmen that glommed onto each other and were going from place to place. And being part of that group didn't make you any happier than being than walking apart from that group. So I would be having a lot if the claim is social is the challenge, I would have a lot of conversations about where that's coming from. I agree. And I think yeah. that's that's FOMO, fear of missing out, right? And I think if the social piece is leading the transfer conversation, dig deeper because it may just be that, you know, things haven't quite settled in correctly yet. Right, right. Now, so maybe the your student has extraordinarily good reasons and it turns out that they thought there was a major in X and it doesn't exist or they have a new focus and you really knowing your child know, okay, this is real, we should start thinking about transferring. But let's say that you're, you're not convinced. What are some suggestions that you would have for either digging deeper, but also for maybe redirecting or making suggestions for when the student returns to school? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that the transfer process is a lot of work. And it's much more detailed than the undergrad admission process because you have to be so focused in your applications. And and we're talking about transferring from one four-year institution to another, right? This Mm -hmm. is separate from students who started community college who are transferring into a four-year degree. Um, So when that's the case, I think it's really important to kind of probe and, and sort of say, okay, well... It's a lot of work to apply. We know that. You still need professor recommendations. So who might you ask? Who have you been talking to on campus? What staff members or faculty members have you connected with who could speak to your involvement in the classroom, outside of the classroom, and see what they say? Um, Think through how to articulate why you want to transfer. Saying, I'm not happy is not enough. Saying that you want to go to a more selective institution because your ego was bruised from how your results turned out when you applied as a first-year student is not enough. Um, And so you have to think through what is making me so willing to go through the the transition of starting college all over again, because it's the same thing. You're Mm -hmm. starting with new peers in a new place with new bedding and, you know, a new (laughs) location and you got to figure it all out. So you have to really want that to be willing to put yourself through a second transition year of starting at a new place and finding new people, especially when students will have already met some of those people. They've already spent a year there, right? So you're coming in now as a new person with a group of students who have been together for a year. Yeah. So, sorry. So I'd say, no, no, I'd say, (laughs) 
Talk to your advisor. Talk to a professor who you've connected with. Talk to a staff member. Admissions counselors are super nice, fun people. Talk to your admission <laughs> counselor if you connected with them. But the staff members, the faculty who work on college campuses do so because they like working with this age of students. They like working with young adults. Um, they're there to assist you. That doesn't mean that they're always going to be able to solve your problems or they're mm-hmm. always going to be in the best mood ever. But reach out to these resource centers on campus and connect with people to ask questions about how to make sure that you can't find what it is you're looking for at your current university before kind of pulling the ripcord. Right. And and then probably moving forward from that, what does this next institution have to have? Because to your point, it can't be well, it needs to be more selective and all my friends are at schools with more recognizable brand names and I want that too. Or it can't be, I don't know what I am looking for. I just know I don't want this because what's going to prevent you from winding up in the next place being feeling the same, right? You need to articulate what you want. Any tips for that? Yeah. And I think that's something that I really look closely at when I was reviewing transfer applications for Babson because- Mm -hmm. We only had a small number of transfer seats available each year, depending on how many first-year students didn't enroll in their sophomore year. So Mm -hmm. some years we'd have five spots open, other years we'd have 50, you know, like it just Mm -hmm. depended. Um, And so my job as an admission counselor was to say, okay, how can I advocate for this student in committee to say that they deserve a spot here at our institution when they could go on and study whatever they're studying at their other institution, get a bachelor's degree in mm-hmm. comparison to this student who's finishing their associates. That's, that's a terminal degree. They, they can't get a bachelor's at their current right. institution and they've been rocking it and they have great grades and good involvement. And now they're looking to, to kind of get their bachelor's degree. What is going to make this student who has that opportunity available to them already mm-hmm. more compelling than this community college student who needs mm-hmm. this degree to move forward with their career? Um, I'm forgetting your question. I'm getting, I got off Well, it's just but. sort of like how to, how to get them thinking about what is they, what is yes. it that they want, not what they don't want, but what they do want. Yes. Because that's the other thing, right? Like you have to come up with now a group of schools that you're going to apply to as a transfer. Mm-hmm. And how do you develop that list? Yes. So if it's something like you're at a large public state institution that has 40,000 students and it just feels way too big start by looking at smaller schools, but there also has to be something else. You know, it can't just be the size that is driving it. Um, and, and so you have to really identify and pinpoint a handful of opportunities that you could only have at this other place Mm -hmm. that you can then articulate in your application for admissions to explain, this is why I want to be at your school. I, I've got great resources here. You don't want to badmouth the school that you're at, right? No. But I think that this is a better fit for me. And here's why. Right, right. And then, of course, the challenge is if it's primarily social, right, that's a little tricky because how do you, how are you going to be able to confirm that your people who are not at the school you're at will be at the school you're not at? And, and you know, I, I don't want to discount the idea that you can really find that a place is not a social fit. And I'm thinking of a student of, um, of a friend of mine who wound up at a school that was on her list that she liked, but if she had been fully honest with herself, she never thought she was going to wind up there. She thought that another school would come through. And when she got to the school, the parents loved the school 
Um, they, they thought it was great. They were happy to have her there. It really was student driven, but she just felt like there were kind of two groups of students who were there, either a group like her who felt like, oh, this is not uh, you know, this was acceptable, but not where I thought I would be, or who were so thrilled to be there and like super gung ho and nothing in the middle and really just couldn't seem to find. And and I actually knowing this, I think it was fairly legit. And, and actually, the student has since transferred to another institution that is a really good fit that I think, you know, wasn't super focused on just an early decision, you know, like have didn't have a huge early decision population. So maybe I don't know what that means if they were more thoughtful. I, I'm not really sure. But it isn't, it can't just be about the social, but there was a challenge there because everything the student wanted academically was available. But how do you say the students party too much and I want a more serious environment? I, you know, that's that's a tricky one. I'm curious about. And what do you say as a parent to that? Yeah. So I think, number one, the student has to do their research, even more so than when you apply as a 12th grader into your first Mm -hmm. year of college. You have got to talk to as many live humans who attend that institution to get the real deal experience. If it's safe, if it's accessible to kind of spend time on campus, sit in on a class, interview, like you got to do it all to really be 100% sure that this other place feels like the right social fit for you, feels like your people. Um, The other thing is, you always want to be positive in your applications, right? You want to Mm -hmm. give admission counselors reasons to advocate for you, right? And so you don't want to badmouth your institution. But I think, like you said, it's very valid to say, this social scene isn't right for me. Right. So instead, what you have to do after doing your research is to identify, you know, I've come to realize in this last year that I really love X. And I was so excited to see that you have a lab dedicated to researching X. It would be such a joy to be surrounded by other peers who share my excitement in this area because I haven't quite found that at this, at at my current institution. And I'm so excited to see, you know, X, Y, and Z happening on yours. Yes. Yeah. The research is, I think is really important because it can lead to legitimate opportunities to talk about fit. And it doesn't have to be academic related. It can be, you know, the mission statement of your university, its focus on diversity and inclusion is something that I didn't realize was I was going to miss going from a really diverse high school to a less diverse college. You know, after one semester, while I'm happy enough here, I really um, keep thinking back to your mission statement and the fact that you have this resource center on campus and you volunteer, you have volunteer opportunities on this, with this thing in, in the city you're located in. Um, those are all legitimate reasons to sort of get at the heart of the community of a campus without, without being negative about the current place you're at. Right, right. So to sum up the advice that we have, you know, that you've sort of provided today, I think the the couple of key things, ask a lot of questions, really dig more deeply, and don't let it just, it's as easy as I'm just not happy and I want to transfer and then you start scrambling, right? Dig more deeply. Um, Are there, is there a particular place that you have in the back of your mind that, you know, really has kind of started to loom as like this, I would be happier there. And then you really have to do your research. So dig deeply, um, really be thoughtful, really think about, can I go back and do some things differently? 
And at what point do we really truly decide, yep, I, I think I need to transfer and, you know, you want to go through those steps. And we've talked about transferring in the past where today was really more about, you know, what do you do if, um, if your student comes home, but we will do um, transfer segments in the future and talk a little bit more about the actual steps that you need yeah. to take to transfer. But any final words? Yes. The one other thing I want to mention is that um, if financial aid, scholarships, grants are mm, going to be part of good point. the decision-making process for your family. You know, if that's a part, you know, if that was part of how you, the student made their decision to enroll at, you know, University A, and now they're looking to transfer, you need to read the fine print very closely on the financial aid websites, because some colleges have ample scholarships and grants available for first-year students, but they don't offer any for transfer students. Or, yes. you know, so you got to make sure that financially it's a match as well, because the reality may be that, yes, you know, it, it, it meets all of these expectations socially and academically, but it's going to cost you three times as much to attend. And if that's the case, that might not be a good, a right. Good exactly. <laughs> a bad all. fit for a different reason. Yes. Christine, thank you so much for joining today. I really appreciate it. Sure. Thanks for having me. All right, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we are talking about how to prevent people from ruining your college process. They don't try, but they do sometimes succeed without meaning to. So we're going to give you some tips for fending that off. Um, so stick around. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. We are doing a holiday show uh, I'm wearing my holiday plaid. My next guest is also wearing her holiday plaid. Shout out to J. Crew in case they want to support this podcast. Sure. Um, <laughs> Christmas is in two days by the time this airs, but uh, so we wanted to be holiday appropriate for those of you who celebrate. Um, joining me today is my colleague Kira Tyler from, and she's a former AO or admissions officer. Sorry for the lingo at Brandeis. Hi, Kira. Hi, Beth. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I'm excited to talk about this today. Um, and, you know, we were we were batting around different ideas. And you said, what about those people who sort of unintentionally ruin students' college process? Yeah. And I jumped right on it because I wouldn't say that anyone has ruined my son's college process. Sure. But I would say that people have unintentionally offered terrible advice and insight that they think they have and like if yeah. that my son didn't have me would probably be send him spinning in a lot of yeah. different directions yeah. um and so we wanted to we thought today we could offer advice on how to fend that off mm -hmm. but also perhaps the people who listen will also recognize "Ooh, i did that i should not do that yeah 
that's fine. All right, so why don't we start with this? What do you mean when you say don't let others ruin the process? Sure. So thanks for having me on. Um, Absolutely. You know, anytime I can talk about helping people set boundaries, I'm happy to do so because I think there's a lot of crossing happening and I want people to find a space that they feel like can be their own. So that's kind of what I mean is that um, I think because college uh, as a process is talked about so much and everybody feels like they know what they're talking about and has an opinion, right? That then they feel like they, it's, well, so my nephew is applying to college. Of course, I can ask him where he's going and how's it going. And like, well, my neighbor got into XYZ school and, oh, what are your grades? But I mean, it it becomes uh, an interrogation and it's really nobody else's business. So that's what I mean when I say like, let's think about ways to not let, um, if you're the student, someone else, an interloper, however well-meaning they may be, ruin it for you. Or if you're a parent, let's figure out ways to help protect our children who are feeling a little bit vulnerable maybe mm-hmm. um, so that they're, it's not ruined ruined for them. Right. And, you know, I would just share a story, which is so my son, as listeners know, and you know, is the senior and going through the process right now. And what I have noticed over the last probably three quarters of a year is that Mm -hmm. when we get together, which is not very frequently, but when we are with other people, um, it is immediately the first topic of conversation. People want to find out where they applied and then sometimes they react Um, and not always positively. Yep. Like, oh, why there? Like, why not? Does right. he That's need a to party ex- school? Right. Or, yeah. or, or what? Like, yes. Or, and my favorite is um, my son was at a wedding and was talking to a gentleman, and he said, Well, why aren't you applying to uh, Virginia? And my son said, Well, you know, I'm because he thought that was similar to some of the schools that my son is applying to. It's not. Sure. Um, and, but also, Quite honestly, my son, I love my son. He's a smart kid, but he's not, he, you know, Virginia has expectations and he is not there. Sure. And the so the guy said to my son, said, well, I, you know, it's not really on my list. I haven't really considered it. I'm pretty sure it's a reach. And the guy said, what are your, what, what are your SAT scores? And of course, my son felt like, I guess I, you know, it's an adult. So he shared right. and he's like, those are Virginia numbers. They're not Virginia numbers. I can tell you that, right? So like, what are you doing? What makes you, this guy has no idea. He was obviously not trying to be a jerk, but illustrating exactly what you are saying. So what are, what's some advice that you have for Jack in the future and other students for how do you avoid those types of situations? Sure. So um, shout out to Jack. You're doing great, buddy. Um, What I would say for the Jacks of the world and my Noah, I have a nephew who's also going through the process. There you go. That I would say, I I understand feeling a little trapped by societal norms about an adult asks you, you were brought up a certain way, you want to be respectful. But I think in this situation, it is okay to say, you know, thanks for asking. I actually don't really want to talk about it. Like I've put my apps out. I feel really good about them. You know, I'm ready for rest and relaxation. Like I want to focus in on the holidays. I just, I would just say, and I don't, 
there are people who will push back or respond to that. But I think that's that feels pretty innocuous and clear to me. And as a parent, I think if you hear your child expressing their needs in that way, A, great job. We should applaud them. Yes. And B, we should support them, right? Yes. So if the adult keeps moving and like still pressing on, we should be able to say like, they don't want to talk about it. Like, it's all fine. We'll let you know when there's something to know. Right, exactly. And I think yeah. that is really good advice. Um, and, you know, I, I think that I wish I had armed him with language like that. He yeah. it sort of rolled off his back. He doesn't care. He, you know, he was he knew that he wasn't competitive and he knew that this guy had no idea. But sure. I do think probably in that moment it would have been nice if he was armed to say, Hey, I'm just here, you know, I'm having a good time to celebrate and I don't really want to talk about all that. That's all anyone wants to talk about, or something yes. like that, right? Yeah. Um, what other what other advice do you have? So outside of social situations, are there other things that you recommend for students to kind of, you know, take the stress as out of their process as much as possible? Yeah, I mean, I would say now is the time to get back to the things that bring you joy, right? Like, mm-hmm. if it's safe, hang out with your friends, yep. read some books go take a walk outside, you know, like maybe take a break from social media. And even if you don't want to do it for everything, maybe Mm -hmm. just do it for some schools. You know, I think I would start to put up a couple of, of fences around this so that it doesn't creep into your life in ways that are going to make you, you know, feel uncomfortable. Um, I will say this is also good practice for people, both students and adults, because this will come up again when students are, if they're graduating college, Mm-hmm. it immediately starts, what are you doing next year? So right. this is also like helping people build skills around what's their business to know, what's not their business to know. And also what do we have to disclose as a student? I mean, we need to remember that students are more than where they end up, are more than the application process. And so let's be talking about other things. Let's talk about football. Let's talk about music. Right. Let's talk about cool movies, podcasts. We have a lot to learn from younger people. Let's do right. that stuff instead. Exactly. Like, what are you listening to lately? Because that might be way better than the that they, the same old, same old that I do. I love that. 100%. Yes. <laughs> you, when, you and I have worked together for a very long time. Yeah. And when I joined College Coach, I remember you making a suggestion around how you engage as parents with your child about this that I have not employed in my own home, but I will say this, I'm not college obsessed, believe it or not. You're not. <laughs> I'm not. So You're not. So none I of have, us really are. I think no. that's a spoiler for listeners and viewers. None of us really are. We love right. the process, but we're pretty low-key about it, actually. <laughs> right. Maybe it's because we do it and we know that our kids are going to college and we're not, right. that, there's a level of stress that isn't there because we right. do understand how it works. But you had some tips as parents of how to put things in the proper box with students. And I would love for you to share. I've always remembered it, tried to make the same suggestion with families when I felt like it was getting out of hand. And I would love for you to share that with um, with our listeners. Sure. So I think um, if you find or if you're not self-aware to find this on your own and you somebody's telling you mm-hmm. um, that it's getting to be too much. That as a parent, what one of the things that we might want to employ is like, hey, why don't we talk about this on Sunday at four o'clock? Yes, right? Like put it. some structure around it mm-hmm. so that it's not Tuesday and you're talking about it 
you know, while you're, somebody's making dinner and that's 15 minutes. And then it comes up again an hour and a half later while you're trying to find a show to watch. And then two, you know what I mean? Like, let's just say, Hey, I have some questions about this. Can we talk about it? X, Y, Z at X, Y, Z time. Right. Um, and that means that everybody can take a breath. People can be prepared. They're not going to be ambushed and they know that there'll be some structure around the conversation. And I think it means that cooler heads prevail. Uh, I think that for people who don't like surprises sprung on them, it means that they can go into this feeling like, I know what I want to talk about. And I have found that those situations make for uh, better progress, better problem solving, more transparency, more honesty, and just a chiller environment in the home. Yeah. I love that. And I think you also had said, you know, maybe there are, it's college free at dinner time, except for one day of the week or something like that. Right. I love that That idea. Yeah. That it's not every time you guys get home that it's time for the whole, I grew up, I'm the youngest of three. Right. So it doesn't mean that every night at dinner, we sit and talk about my oldest brother's college process. Like that is an ambush kind of situation. It's unfair. gets everybody riled up. Instead, let's just decide we're not going to talk about it at different points. We're not going to talk about it before school. Nobody should be wanting to send their kid off to school these days, not feeling good about the home they're leaving. Right. Right. Like that's the gift we can give each other. Don't talk about it before school. There's enough happening. Don't text your kid at school about it. That's that's not okay. Do not interrupt their extracurriculars about it. Find a time and a space where it makes sense and be clear about when you are not going to bring it up. I will say we do this in in our home. My child is, as you know, uh, not not quite old enough for the college process, but around her cello practice because that has to happen every day. The joke is every day that ends in day means you have to practice. And (laughs) that's a good one. Tiger parent. Um, But basically that there are times when we don't talk about it, right? Mm -hmm. Like we don't talk about it at at the times, just like I said, for college, it's the same thing I'm trying to do is to build healthy habits. Yes. And I think it's good. Right. And (laughs) And walking the walk, right? And not just talking the talk. Trying very hard. <laughs> Trying to. Um, what other, I think those are some really good tips for both parents and students, right? Yeah. So if you're a student listening and your parents are bombarding you, you can make that suggestion. If you're a parent and listening, recognize that you're the one who could set that those boundaries up. And I bet everybody would be really excited about it. Um, you have, we have a few more minutes, um, but not too many. And you had yeah. some really good other tips for parents that um, I wanted to make sure you shared. So So mm. similarly, as I said, for students about like, let's think about social media and sort of downtime. Same thing for parents. We actually probably, the adults in the room need it more actually than I think our kids. I think our kids are actually getting better about having some break time with their phones, getting a little sick of them. Mm -hmm. And adults seem to be the one who can't stop doing this. Mm -hmm. I would encourage parents, take a break, stop hanging in the chat rooms, stop hanging in the prospective parents of XYZ school, leave your college counselor alone (gasps) over break. It's not an emergency. Um, And also, why don't you like mute notifications as well, or take a little hiatus from covering any um, not ours, um, because we take a chill approach, but particularly things around the college search process that are more anxiety inducing. 
right? Like, there's no reason why we can't take our little breather. Everybody can't have some space. The other thing I will say that I, I'm shocked still happens is why are we still using we language, yeah, right? Yep. If it's December 18th and you're still saying how you know, we're going to apply, please stop it. If you're a student, I'm telling you, I think Beth would agree, please stop it. Like your parents may be supporting you in this process, um, zero to hundred percent. I don't know. It's your own family situation. Right. However, you are, and if you're not, you should be doing the work. This is you going to college. So right. if people are still using we language and we are getting very close to finding out where people are going to school, this is a good time to reframe. This is not the parent applying to college. This is the student applying to college. Right, exactly. We can visit a college together, but you are applying and you are going. So there are moments where the we is okay, but for most of the time, it's you. Exactly. We are not writing an essay. Exactly. No, we are. And we are going to close on that note because that is a really good one. Kira, thank you so much for joining and sharing the years of wisdom that you have gleaned from all of these uh, families that we've worked with. And it's really helpful. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Beth. Thanks for the time. I loved being here. Great. Well, we'll have to have you back. Um, All right. Quickly, before we go, uh, next week, Sally is here. We're going to be talking about what to do after all of your applications are in um, and New Year's resolutions related to admissions and personal finance. Um, And don't forget, we are here every week at uh, (laughs) 1 p.m. Pacific and 4 p.m. Eastern. I end with the way every time. I don't know why I forgot it today. Thanks for joining. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.